Hello there, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. It's ya boy. That's really fucking weird to say. Why did I start it like that? Um, this is your 2023 end of year awards. This is the year in review for 2023 on the Geeksplain podcast, a special episode right before the end of the year. I'm going to be talking about my top five video games, top five films, top five shows, and of course, my top five comics for 2023. 2023 has been a wild year, gang, and it is crazy to look back on the year that was, especially when it comes to the podcast. Um, This year has been eye-opening for a lot of reasons, Um, and I have been able to put out some of my favorite episodes across both the Wednesday show as well as the book club every Friday, and it's just been an absolute blast. I do have um, something to talk about later on, but we will get to that at the end, as we're looking forward to 2024. For now, let's just do the thing. Let's get right into it. We are going to look at these first at the top five video games of the year. Now, this list was harder to put together than you might think, just because I didn't play a ton of video games this year. And the games that I did play lasted for a really long time. So um, there were very few games to put on this list, but the ones that I do have on here, I really, really love. So I'm going to be doing uh, honorable mentions for each of the four categories, one honorable mention, and then getting into the top five. So brace yourself. And there might be mild spoilers for things throughout this, so just be aware. And finally, as a quick disclaimer, I have not read, watched, or played every single thing there is to experience and consume in 2023. If I had, I wouldn't have had time to do literally anything. But I uh, am just ranking this off of the things that I have experienced, that I have been able to watch, read, and play. And so if I missed out on anything, and I know I did, because as we are recording this, I still have several films I need to watch uh, and a couple shows as well, let me know. Feel free, uh, reach out at GeeksplainedPod, that's at GeeksplainedPod on Instagram and Twitter, or feel free to send me an email to geeksplained at gmail.com and we can talk about it. But without further ado, top five video games starting at number five, well, I guess I should probably do the honorable mention first. So honorable mention for the video game category, Final Fantasy 16. Now, Final Fantasy is a franchise that I have near and dear to my heart. It is uh, probably my favorite JRPG uh, series. I kind of putting it next to Kingdom Hearts is weird for me because Kingdom Hearts is such a weird blend of both uh JRPG and traditional American style RPG um, that it's hard for me to quantify, but I really, really, really was excited at the prospect of Final Fantasy 16, kind of bringing things back to the classical uh, sword and sorcery, high fantasy style after the last couple of games in Final Fantasy had leaned more towards uh, modernism. It kind of reminds me of the reset that the series took jumping into Final Fantasy 9 after having seven, or really six through eight uh, being, you know, 
know, introducing more modern things. And so this felt kind of in that same vein, though, again, two very different games. Uh, Final Fantasy 16 was a really nice return to, again, very classic high fantasy style Final Fantasy games. And it was also a big departure for the series, uh, having literally only one playable character, that being Clive, having the uh, the battle system become more, uh, I, I guess, like DMC light. Devil May Cry uh, definitely had an influence on this game, and if you played it, you can tell immediately. But it also was a game that I just really enjoyed getting to know the characters, the world, and getting into exactly what it all had to offer. I was a big fan of the uh, of the big kaiju style battles between the icons and genuinely some of the story stuff and the voice cast was tremendous. But I really did enjoy it as a whole, and I think that as an entry into the Final Fantasy series, it's solid. And while it might not crack my top five, I know for a fact there are a few people I know in my life that really adore this game. So big ups to Square Enix for that. But with the honorable mention out of the way, let's dive right into my top five video games. At number five, we have Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty. Now, this might feel like a weird thing to have on here wait a second this isn't a full game it's just a big expansion well dear listener you might not know i may have mentioned it way back but when the original release of cyberpunk 2077 happened and it was basically unplayable i got a deluxe version as a present for christmas and i did not open that game until as of this recording a month ago and <laughs> it was all due to a couple different factors i had no interest in playing it because of all of the bugs all of the crashing all of the just terrible stuff that came out about the game and so i waited and it slipped my mind it went to the back of my two play queue and i just let it sit there for a good long while until I happened upon a series called Cyberpunk Edge Runners on Netflix, a wonderful anime that reignited or I guess ignited my interest in the game because I've always loved the cyberpunk aesthetic. Uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, movies like Blade Runner, uh, the better Blade Runner 2049, which might be controversial, who knows, but I love that kind of aesthetic. I love that kind of world. And so I was interested and really loved the show. So I was like, okay, maybe this is worth getting back into. And then, and then they announced, Hey, so we're about to do a gigantic revamp of the game, basically calling it Cyberpunk 2.0, alongside the big DLC expansion, Phantom Liberty. So I decided I'm going to wait until that all releases, and then I'm going to kick up the game for the first time. Um, it sits at number five basically because I haven't beat it yet. I'm about 16 hours in, and I just finished the heist. And if you've played the game, you know that that's probably... Nowhere near uh, where <laughs> I will end up with this game. I've heard varying um, varying accounts of how long it will take to beat this game. But I am really excited. I love the world. The gameplay is really solid. I'm not a huge fan of like first-person stuff. But 
just like with Bioshock, I've learned to acclimate to it, and I'm excited to see where the game takes me. So at number five, I have Cyberpunk 2077. At number four, jumping back into Final Fantasy, I have Final Fantasy VI, the Pixel Remaster. Now, I've talked about before how much I love Final Fantasy VI. I think it is, on a story and world-building aspect, possibly the best game in the series, in the entire franchise. And I have not played Final Fantasy VI since uh, 2007, 2008 on the Game Boy Advance. And so getting to replay the best version of the game, and those of you who know, multiple versions out on a variety of different platforms, um, this was one of my most anticipated games of the year. And I loved it just as much, if not more, than I did the first time. It's a wonderful game. If If you've never played it, do yourself a favor. Go on whatever console you have. It is there. You can get it. You can get the collection of the first six, or you can just get each one of them individually. I just got six uh, individually just because I'm not a huge fan of one through three and four and five I have you know fond memories of but I have no interest in revisiting them but six six is absolutely amazing it has one of my favorite characters in the entire franchise that being my boy Saban Figaro but also it has the best villain in the franchise that being of course Kefka the laughing mad jester i i fucking god i love this game i love this game to death i think it's a masterpiece of a game one of the best pixel style games ever created and the pixel remaster is one of the best remasters that i've ever played of any game in any generation so if you haven't yet do yourself a favor go play this uh but at number three i have a game that is not a remaster and is in fact a sequel it is star wars jedi survivor i loved this game okay uh i am not what i would consider the biggest star wars fan i love the franchise but i have very dear friends, shout out to my boy uh, Jesse Pickering, good brother, and uh, frequent returning guest on the podcast, who I consider aficionados, who I consider the like biggest fans of the franchise. I love Star Wars, but they are neck deep in it, and I respect their their fandom of that. That being said, Star Wars uh, Jedi fallen order yes that was the first game uh fallen order was one of my favorite games the year that it came out and i absolutely loved the story of cal kestis and his ragtag crew so getting a sequel that not only gives you a more expanded universe to traverse uh bigger levels higher stakes and the ability to customize your cal really just absolutely knocked my socks off what a wonderful game having one of the biggest twist moments that made me stand up from the seat i was sitting in uh you know the one and i just i thought it was tremendous a great way to build off of the first game and make it feel like it leveled up in every sense of the word and i just i freaking loved it i thought it was incredible and i will uh I will patiently, as well as impatiently, await the third installment whenever that game does come around. And number two, this might be a surprise choice, but for me, it is Marvel's Midnight Suns. 
Now I know what you're thinking, Eric. This game came out at the very tail end of 2022. Why is this a 2023 game? Well, if you cast your mind back to the year in review for 2022, I said, and I quote, and this is not an exact quote, I have not played Midnight Suns, but I will play it in 2023, and hopefully it shows up on that list. Or something like that. Well, 2022, Eric... You were absolutely right. I loved Midnight Suns, and the fact that it did not sell well and that people were not raving about it is an absolute fucking crime. Uh, this game is incredible. It takes all the things that I love about video games and puts it into one game. You got your turn-based combat, you got your team building, you got your RPG elements, you've got customization, you've got popular characters in a universe that I love, you've got strategy. It's incredible. Uh, now, I never played any of like the XCOM games or any of that like real-time strategy stuff, but this was, you know, as an introduction to that genre, tremendous. Uh, I keep saying that word, but it just really felt like it, 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 it feels apropos, and I love every single bit of the 150-plus hours I put into this game. It was amazing, and I loved it so much. Uh, just, just a wonderful time, and it makes me really sad because we're not going to get any more DLC, and we're not going to get a sequel to this, and it bums me out to no end. Uh, if you haven't, Go back. I'm sure it is on Hella Sale right now. Play Midnight Suns. It is incredible. But of course, my video game of the year, it's Spider-Man 2. As a sequel to uh, the Spider-Man video game on PS4, it is immaculate. As a sequel to Spider-Man Miles Morales, it is astounding. This game is spectacular on every level upping the ante when it comes to gameplay, when it comes to story, when it comes to customization in a lot of aspects. Uh, less suits, and almost half of them are movie suits, which bums me out. You have no idea. But we do still have room for DLC. We have room for extra suits to be added. And we got all of those original suits that, um, that creators were tasked to make and... Overall, I mean, it's it's another home run for Insomniac and the entire entire Spider-Man team. Um, Insomniac is you know in my thoughts right now with what's going on with that uh, that data breach, the le the hacks and the leaks. Um, shit sucks, and it really bums me out. But I absolutely adored this game. Everyone who played it should be immensely proud, and I cannot wait to see where this universe and where Insomniac goes next. But that is my top five video games. So next we're jumping on over to top five films. Now, there were a bunch of good films that came out this year, uh, and I do have to as a really selfish choice, let everybody know that, I mean, automatically, my favorite film is the one that I'm in. So Night of the Harvest, which hopefully, fingers crossed, will be getting uh, distribution in the new year in 2024, um, had its film premiere in LA uh, at the beginning of November. And I, it's just, it's a night I'll never forget. So that aside, uh, honorable mention for uh, film 
my top five films is Elemental. Uh, Pixar and Disney continue to take some of the biggest swings by just saying, hey, what if we told really good stories that feature very Asian or Asian-coded characters? And I love that shit. I love that shit to death. It took me forever to see Elemental. People were telling me how good it was, and I just didn't have the time. So my fiancé and I came to it very late, unfortunately. However... I absolutely adore this film. Uh, from the outset, when I realized it was an immigrant story, when I realized it was about generational trauma, and again, very Asian-coded, I loved Elemental. It is a film that I cried a couple times at, and it's a film that I will remember for a very long time, not just because of the content of the film, but of the experience watching it with my fiancé. So, uh, really, really adored it. Could not ask for more, but... It just didn't make it in the top five. The, I mean, the films this year were stacked. Um, I almost want to throw another honorable mention in because I feel like TMNT needs some love. It unfortunately didn't make it into my top five, but it is absolutely incredible and people should be watching it. But at number five in my top five films of 2023, I've got Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Mission Impossible is back, baby! And it is just as good as it has been. Uh, I know that there's an argument to be made that it's only half a movie because this is of course part one with part two coming i believe either next year or the year after which is another you know an argument that you can make for another movie on this list as well but i just i love mission impossible gang and i love everybody who's in it the casting of course is immaculate adding in my forever crush, Haley Atwell, and just continuing on the stellar saga of Ethan Hunt and friends losing their absolute goddamn minds as the world closes in around us. I love this film. It continues to build upon all of the reckless bullshit that Tom Cruise forces himself through every single time, and it's just a pleasure and a joy to watch. So I can't wait for part two they made a choice at the very end of this film that i will be angry at forever and that's why it's not higher up but i really did truly love dead reckoning part one and number four we have across the spider verse now across the spider verse might be a little low you might say but just stick with me here but Across the Spider-Verse, once again, is a part one of two kind of story in the way that Into the Spider-Verse is the first of the trilogy was more self-contained. Across the Spider-Verse directly leads into part three, which is, I believe, beyond the Spider-Verse. But I adore the whole Spider-Verse franchise at this point. These versions of these characters, especially Gwen, Spider-Gwen in this is... For me, the main character, but also not. Uh, she and Miles go through, just go through it in this movie. And this introduces uh, some really great heavy hitters. Miguel O'Hara, played by everyone's crush, Oscar Isaac, uh, who just 
absolutely knocked it out of the park. I'm so excited to continue his story. Um, Jessica Drew, who is in this movie, uh, she's incredible. Ben Riley, my boy, finally made it into the big time, even though I still think that Ultimate Peter Parker is Ben Riley. Uh, I love his inclusion, and I know it wasn't for everybody, and some people were very particular about how he was utilized and how dare you ruin this character. But I just love seeing him. I love seeing him be a little goofy dude uh, voiced by Andy Samberg. He was tremendous, and I absolutely adored him. Uh, the mixture of utilizing so many different artistic styles was also masterfully done. Uh, Chris Anka did a lot of the character designs, if not all of them, all the major ones anyway, and knocked it out of the park as only Chris Anka could do. The soundtrack is incredible. Daniel Pemberton once again doing the most. And as a story, just truly building upon the anyone could wear the mask ethos by asking the question, but should they, is just rife with uh, thematic and narrative potential. So I can't wait to see the third film whenever it comes out, probably not next year, but the year after. And I really, really, really love this movie. Uh, At number three, though... It got beat out by Barbie. I loved Barbie. I know it sounds weird, but I loved Barbie. It hit me in a very particular place. Uh, Not just because we got to see uh, Simu Liu play Asian Ken and just... I... Gang, I can't explain to you how exciting it is. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but seeing, you know, Simu Liu be somebody who is recognizable as an Asian American actor and just immediately like, Oh, that's Simu Liu. Everybody knows him. And obviously Shang-Chi had a big hand in that, but having somebody who is instantly recognizable in the game that everybody knows, um, makes me as an Asian American viewer really excited just because obviously representation is important but also as an asian american actor gives me something to strive towards you know it is inspiring to see that representation in big budget movies like barbie which sounds silly but it was also just a movie about finding your purpose and figuring out why you are here, which is a big, heavy thing for a movie based on Barbie dolls. But um, Greta Gerwig continues to be just one of the best voices in Hollywood. Uh, Her collaboration with Margot Robbie on this was second to none. Um, The very diverse cast was incredible, and I loved seeing each and every person in this. Ryan Gosling just absolutely crushing it as, I guess, main Ken, uh, original Ken, uh, whatever, uh, really solidified him as an actor for me. I don't know why we keep making him do cool guy lead stuff when he loves just being a goofy dude. Uh, Go rewatch Nice Guys. I did recently, and it's great. But y'all just, Barbie was a wonderful movie and it made me feel things and I loved it. And I hope that people continue to sing its praises, but that we don't get any more Barbie movies because we don't need it. We don't, I know, I know y'all want to commercialize this and turn it into a 
Barbie universe, but we don't need it. We don't need it. This film is perfect as it is. But on the other hand, uh, talking about a film that needs a franchise built out of it, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves in the number two spot for me. I love me some Dungeons and Dragons. I love Dungeons and Dragons, and I loved this movie. This movie gave me a similar feeling to the original Mummy in the late 90s. Adventure, comedy, drama, stakes, all of it. It's all in here. And it's a blast. It genuinely is. Uh, you got an A-list cast in there. You've got weird shit happening. Great special effects. A love letter to the game of Dungeons & Dragons. And just everybody buying in. Nobody phoned it in in this movie. Everybody wanted to have fun. And they did have fun. And so you as a viewer have fun. It's one of the best experiences I've had in a theater. Sitting with two of my fellow adventuring party members. Uh... Translating from us playing the game every Thursday into going and seeing this movie together. Uh, it was just, it was an incredible time, and I wouldn't give that away for the world. So, more people need to watch this movie so that it's more successful and we get an entire franchise. I need nine movies in this, I need a series of them. Do it. We need it. We need it. We need it. So, that is my my soapbox for Dungeons and Dragons. But of course, my movie of the year. The movie that made me feel things, the movie that made me cry multiple times, the movie that I saw multiple times in theaters, and the movie that hit me in a place that I wasn't expecting, but served as kind of a culmination for this year. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is a masterpiece of a movie. I know it's not everyone's favorite, and I know that in conversations I've had, I know that it has uh, it has flaws. It absolutely does. There's no question about it. This, this film... Um, gosh. I, I, could, I could spend the rest of this episode just talking about this film in itself. Uh... Uh, this film was about endings, but it was also about beginnings. It was a film that accepted that it was time to move on. Uh, this served as James Gunn's goodbye to the MCU, goodbye to the Guardians of the Galaxy, which really put him on the map in a mainstream way. And I adored everything about it. You know, it, it, and it took me multiple viewings, including probably going to watch it again after I finish uh, recording this, to really understand the weight of it. This movie features, you know, the biggest introspective look at Rocket Raccoon that we've gotten in the MCU, while also providing uh, satisfying character arcs and conclusions for those arcs for literally every single character in our main cast. Um, allowing those characters to breathe and feel and suffer and feel and overcome. This is a triumphant movie. And it doesn't feel like it when it begins because everyone's kind of in a, in a rough place. But the ending of this movie... Hmm. <laughs> I am not going to get emotional here. 
the ending of this movie is maybe the best ending in the entire franchise, the entire MCU, full stop. Um, I'm not ready to say that it's the best MCU movie or that it's my favorite MCU movie, but it is certainly my favorite ending because you get to see what makes sense. And not just in a, you know, oh, narratively, this, you know, this tracks, but in a way that feels like a goodbye to these characters without doing them a disservice. James Gunn said goodbye to these characters, to this world, with no cynicism, with no bitterness. He said goodbye to the franchise that he built. The Guardians of the Galaxy, with as much reverence and as much uh, love and pomp and circumstance as he could infuse into it. And I am forever grateful that we have someone who genuinely cares about telling a story that makes you feel things in charge of my favorite character of all time. And maybe this is, you know, a biased pick because like, oh, this, you know, informs how hyped I am for Superman Legacy. And I am genuinely. I can't wait. Um, But I, man, people have a passion for things. And when they get to share that passion with people, you see magic happen. And that's what this movie does. So um, enough said. Enough said with that. Um, That is my top five films. Uh, To jump on over, continuing on the the much smaller screen, Uh, my top five TV shows. This was a great year of TV. Um, The amount of shows that I have on this list, uh, I had to narrow it down to five, and it was heckin' hard, gang. This was the list that I had the most entries in and was the most difficult <laughs> to narrow things down. Um, there was just so much good TV this year. Um, in fact, I'm just going to knock off some honorable... I have multiple honorable mentions that I have to do with TV because this was a great year for TV. Um, Shorzy which probably doesn't mean anything to anybody except me. Um, sure as he had it season two and doubled down on everything that made season one incredible. I loved it. Go watch it, especially if you're a Letterkenny or a hockey fan. Uh, the Last of Us, which I know, thinking about it, whoa, why is this not in the top five? Uh, you'll see. But I loved this adaptation. I think... If I have to, you know, really put a pin on it, the reason why it doesn't make it into the top five is because it is more or less a straight up just adaptation of the first game. And I love that first game, but a lot of these shows were not exactly adaptations. So the, the, uh, Stretching the meaning of adaptation uh, (laughs) is tricky, but I loved it. And then One Piece, a show that absolutely surprised the hell out of me, almost made it into the top five just on the the aspect of 
alone of how it surprised me. Absolutely loved all of these shows, but they just missed out of the top five. But getting into the top five, I know we're not talking about adaptations, but number five is Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Holy shit, gang. I loved Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Um, I've talked about this before, but Scott Pilgrim was a movie that came to me at a very rough time in my life. Uh, we spent my uh, good brother, uh, Brennan, who uh, has his own podcast, uh, BJ in the Morning. Go check that out. It is incredible. They just wrapped up their first year on the podcast. You should go listen to it. It's wonderful, especially if you just like conversations of two guys just talking about anything, shooting the shit. Uh, go check them out. We spent the entire summer of 2010, I believe, um, watching this movie every Wednesday. And it was incredible. Eight straight weeks. It was amazing. I loved it. So Scott Pilgrim as a movie and then later on as I went back and read the comic has been a big part of my life and so hearing that we were going to get an anime adaptation I was nervous because how would they improve upon it how would they um, do it in a way that doesn't feel like it's extra on top of what they did with the film um, especially because they brought back the entire cast from the film to to reprise their roles and they decided you know what we are not going to adapt this we're going to tell our own story with these characters and it is incredible it's a story about empowerment it's a story about um coming to terms with your life your past and your choices and it's a it's a story about being okay with who you are rather than you know lamenting over who you could be or could have been so it's a great show. Do yourself a favor. Go watch it. It's awesome. Um, speaking of incredible animated shows, though, you knew it had to be here. My Adventures with Superman. I love this show, and it was made specifically for me. A Superman anime that gives you everything you would want out of a young Superman, you know, a year one Superman story. Uh, with an incredible cast, wonderful animation, and just a distinct love put into this uh showrunner josie campbell really just knocked this out of the park and i love this show to death and i cannot wait for season two um it's just it's it's tremendous it is a, i keep saying that word gosh but it's true um this show is one of my favorite things to go back to i love sharing it with people i love gushing about it with anyone who's willing to listen or chat about it uh it is a perfect adaptation and the show that i needed right now when it comes to superman stuff we're in a golden age of superman content gang more on that later but i absolutely adored this and it is a show once again specifically made for me and because of that it had to be on the list uh number three i have it's doctor who i loved the return of doctor who this year uh as we are as i'm recording this uh it's been just a day after the incredible debut of shuri gatwa's 15th doctor 
And having not just the Christmas special, the return of the Christmas special, but also the prior three uh, 14th Doctor and Donna Noble trilogy is just excellent. I didn't realize how much I missed fun, campy Doctor Who uh, having just a grand old time with silly, corny science fiction. I loved it. I loved it. This this series sees the return of Russell T. Davies as showrunner. Um, the trio of, of 60th anniversary specials feature the return of David Tennant and Catherine Tate in the roles of the Doctor and Donna Noble, showing the passage of time, righting some wrongs, continuing on some stories, and ultimately leading to uh, not just by generation, which again, don't get me started, I talked about it already, but the debut of Shudi Gatwa's 15th Doctor leading up to the Christmas special. I adored this special and the the whimsy, the fun, the energy of that Christmas special gives me a lot of hope for the new season coming in uh, 2024. So Doctor Who is back officially and I could not be happier but I know what you're wondering. Eric, you loved this Christmas special, right? And I did. I really did. And Eric, I've been seeing a lot of just objectively wrong lists of how people rank the Doctor Who Christmas specials. So would you, in all your infinite kindness, be willing to share what your list looks like? And to that I say, well, of course I can. Because here is my definitive list ranked of the current Doctor Who Christmas specials. Uh, I'm going to give some notes, but I'm not going to go as in-depth as I am on this main list. So here we go at number 14, The Christmas Invasion. If you want a good Doctor Who Christmas story, it benefits the story to have the Doctor in it. It's bad. It's the first one. It's bad. Uh... It very close is with number 13, The Runaway Bride, which is also almost unbearable for me because of how bad Donna is in that episode. Donna Noble gets better, and I love that, and retroactively, it should make this better. I rewatched it recently. It doesn't. She's still grading. It's not, it's not, it's not good, but it does eke out the Christmas invasion because at least the doctor is fucking in it. At number 12, we have the snowmen. This one is just Matt Smith being sad and the introduction of Clara Oswald. Um, I really wish that this Clara got more screen time and wasn't killed off in this episode, though, of course, that leads into the impossible girl and all that stuff. And this did introduce us to the Paternoster gang, which goaded immediately um but it's not my favorite and number 11 we have the next doctor i love this episode uh david morrissey easily could have been a doctor in another time in another lifetime in another on earth three i'm sure he is a wonderful six season doctor but uh him combined with david tennant was wonderful however it's not the strongest uh episode there's a lot of weird shit and the gigantic cyber lady thing just doesn't work for me uh number 10 we have the doctor the widow and the wardrobe i love this episode it is underrated if you have not watched it watch it again uh the take on the lion the witch and the wardrobe combined with a post-war um widow and family dealing with the loss of you know their husband and father is uh really well done 
Matt Smith still has all of his early season whimsy, so there is that. And the ending is incredible. Just talking about the love of friendship and the family you choose and your found family. It's wonderful. I love it. Uh, number nine, we have The Return of Dr. Mysterio. And y'all are too mean to this. Y'all are too mean to this. Go watch this again. It's so much fun. Geeko himself, Justin Chatwin, is incredible in this. I don't care. He does a really dumb young Superman, and of course, it's made specifically for me. Uh, Peter Capaldi crushes it. He's incredible as Dr. Mysterio, and I just, I love this. People should stop shitting on this. It's really good. Uh, number eight, we have Last Christmas. Uh, Last Christmas beats out Return of Dr. Mysterio because this one is more about Christmas itself. Um, the, the very much the thing ification of Doctor Who in this episode is really can be hit or miss at times. I get it. Not everybody's cup of tea. Totally understand. But uh, it's really good. The cast is stacked. Uh, I love Nick Frost as Santa Claus and the ending, even though it was all a dream was still really touching with uh, the Doctor and Clara. So that is that. At number seven, I have The End of Time, which might be hella low for some people. But The End of Time, great send-off for the 10th Doctor, great send-off for David Tennant. Stacked cast, we have uh, Niles Calder himself as Rassilon. Uh, we have a great... It's basically uh, Wilf becoming a companion for two episodes, but also just getting the great regeneration story um getting the incredible performance by david Tennant. i could do so much more still kills me every time um it's it's a tremendous episode but it's not strictly about christmas so it loses some points there for me at number six we have voyage of the damned which is i think universally a loved episode but to me, some people rank it way too high. Um, this episode introduces us to Wilf, which I think is a funny parallel with the episode that came, uh, or the entry that came before this. But it's a great episode that also features Kylie Minogue. They kill her off in this. Spoilers, which still burns me because she could have been great. I love the idea of the cruise ship, uh, the the shore leave on Earth. Like, oh, I'm a tourist. Really great stuff. Also has David Tennant wearing black Converse for maybe the only time in the series it doesn't happen very often but really good stuff uh this also has the uh balakafalaka i can't remember his name but he's incredible big ups to him goaded immediately uh number six we have twice upon it no at number five we have twice upon a time we're in the top five gang twice upon a time Peter Capaldi's regeneration story i like more than david Tennant's regeneration story if only because I got to watch this in real time. I joined up with the Doctor Who fandom right as Matt Smith regenerated into Peter Capaldi. And so Peter was my, you know, doctor that I got to watch along with live. Uh, obviously, Christopher Eccleston is still my doctor. He's my favorite, always has been, always will be. But Peter Capaldi was who I thought of when I thought of the doctor. And watching him not just have a great multi-doctor story with the first doctor but also dealing with the idea of change and him you know raging against it before realizing that change can be good 
uh, allowing him to regenerate into Jodie Whittaker's doctor. I absolutely loved it. And it is a crime. It is an absolute crime that we never got a Jodie Whittaker Christmas special. I know we got the three or four New Year's specials. They don't count. They're not on this list. I'm sorry. It's not Christmas. And it further kind of wedges a divide between Jodie's doctor and everybody else's, which fucking sucks. Um, I hope she comes back in a multi-doctor story later on. Hopefully a Christmas special so she can feature in one. Uh, more than just, oh, brilliant. Oh, it's regeneration. Oh, I'm falling out of the TARDIS. Uh, but I love this. I loved using the Christmas Armistice as a backdrop, giving us uh, the Doctor meeting not the Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart, but a Lethbridge Stewart. So love this episode. Watching uh, Peter Capaldi say, Doctor, I let you go, will always wrench the heartstrings. It's incredible. Number five. Number four, the newest, The Church on Ruby Road, which might be too high for you. And I say, fuck off. You hate fun. Uh, no, I don't say that. I don't say that. Uh, the, the the second part I do. If you don't like this, you don't like fun. Uh, you just don't. And for all the people who are like, oh, Doctor, who is woke now? You you can fuck off literally but i loved the church on ruby road i thought it was a wonderful introduction to shudigatwa's doctor giving him a first doctor story without being a you know regeneration story which i am very curious how we're going to square that circle but i loved the whimsy the energy that he has i loved his uh um, his rapport with Ruby Sunday. I like her. I don't love her yet. Um, she's giving me major early Clara vibes in season seven, which isn't a great sign, but, um, I think there's a mystery box around her. There are, there are seeds planted that could be really good. And I'm hopeful for them to get there. Uh, the goblin song, it's it's been stuck in my head whether I love it or not. It's been stuck in my head, and I think that's worth something. Uh, this the fashion is impeccable. The timing, the uh, people were criticizing the pace. I get that, but I thought it ran at a smooth pace, and it's over much quicker than you think it is. That hour blows on by, um, but it's all about Shudi Gatwa. It's all about the fifteenth Doctor who steals the show as he should in a Doctor Who story. A great start for this character. Uh, it's not super focused on Christmas, so it does lose some points, but and maybe it's recency bias. I love this episode. I will go back. I have already rewatched it a couple times, and I'm excited to see where they go next with this character. And number three, we have The Time of the Doctor. This is Matt Smith's regeneration. We had three doctors regenerate on Christmas. Kind of wild. Uh, but Matt Smith's doctor uh, very quickly became one of my favorites as you know as he does because he's incredible i started watching doctor who right around the 50th anniversary so i joined in um in between uh, i believe the name of the doctor and the time of the doctor so in that between time because there was a solid amount of time between then um or it it went name of the doctor 50th time of the doctor so I joined in between uh, Name of the Doctor and the 50th, where in between Name of the Doctor, uh, I started right after that, watched all of Doctor Who, binged it all to get myself ready for uh, the 50th. And so I very condensed through all three of the modern Doctors at the time, and I, you know, 
I, I think Matt Smith was probably my least favorite at the at that point. However, through watching the 50th and then going into uh, Time of the Doctor, it's he's he's got something. He, there, there's something about him that is just it's it's lightning in a bottle. And watching him grow old, watching him say goodbye to this character, um, giving maybe the best speech in a regeneration ever. Period. Um, I love Capaldi's to death, especially because it's the one that I got to, you know, I got to watch this character grow in real time, but we all change that. I'm going to get emotional thinking about it. When you think about it, we're all different people all through our lives, but that's okay. Got to keep moving. So long as you remember all the people that you used to be, I will not forget one line of this. Not one day. I swear. I will always remember when the doctor was me. I can recite that. I know it. I know the line without having to look it up. Like that speech is iconic and that regeneration will forever be iconic. And the fact that he spends, you know, hundreds of years in the town called Christmas. I mean, what more could you ask for in a Christmas special? Well, you could ask for two more things, which is at number two and number two and number one, you know, can interchange at any given point depending on how I'm feeling and depending on the day. But as it stands right now, number two, the Husbands of River Song. Peter Capaldi is the king of Christmas when it comes to Doctor Who. Uh, just from this list alone, in the top ten, he's got uh, one, two, uh, three, four entries in the top ten alone, more than anybody any of the other doctors in this list, um, in that top 10. And he is the king of Christmas for a reason. He brings a certain amount of cynicism, but also a certain amount of whimsy to the doctor on Christmas. And this episode, which reunites him with River Song, closes that circle, gives a goodbye to that character by Stephen Moffat, the, the creator of that character. Uh, it's, it's magical watching River Song, how she acts when the doctor isn't around because she doesn't recognize Capaldi's doctor she doesn't recognize 12 as the doctor until the very last minute is incredible watching Peter Capaldi do the my god it's bigger than on the inside than it is on the outside his whole speech is incredible you, I talked about uh, Matt Smith's speeches a second ago they're great they're incredible nobody does speeches like Peter Capaldi uh, his whole deal is just it it's it is iconic. It is unmatched, and him having that ending with River Song, where they go to the Singing Towers of Derillium. He gives her the new Sonic. She asks him how you know this is our last night, and she says how many you know how long are the nights here, and he says something like fifty four years, like they or twenty five, whatever, decades, and they lived happily ever after. Just. Ah, it's incredible! It's incredible! And it only gets eked out by the king for me. A Christmas Carol is the perfect Doctor Who episode. And I don't say that, I don't throw that word around lightly. Because a lot of people talk about what makes a perfect Doctor Who episode, what makes a perfect Christmas special, what makes a perfect time travel episode. And this episode absolutely ticks all the boxes and accomplishes all three not just being a great story not just being a great time travel story not just being a great christmas story but being all three at the same time uh, 
Matt Smith, this was his first Christmas special, and it still remains his best. Do I watched this yesterday as I'm recording this, and it still holds up. It's still my favorite out of all the Christmas specials, and it is just unmatched in telling a story that everyone is familiar with. Everyone knows A Christmas Carol, even if you've never watched A Christmas Carol. And I did. I went and saw my friend's production of A Christmas Carol, and it was fantastic. They were incredible. But it just made me want to rewatch this more because it's so good. Playing with the uh, the idea of time travel, utilizing it as a, you know, ghost Christmas past, present, and future. The way they do the ghost of Christmas future is so good. Um, it's a story about second chances. It's a story about accepting um, mortality. It's a story about Christmas, and it's a story about belief. And it's just, it's it's amazing. I love it so much. So that is the definitive Everyone Else is Wrong Doctor Who Christmas special list. Uh, feel free to send me yours if you want, but just know that I will tell you that they are wrong. But yeah, back to my top five shows. Uh, number three, we had Doctor Who. At number two, we had Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso had perhaps its final season. And it was as perfect as it could have been. Was it a perfect season? No, not even close. Uh, the first and second seasons structurally are much better than the third season. Did it do everything that I needed it to do? No, not even close. Certain characters went by the wayside. There is a big focus on certain characters. And by the end of the season, it all wraps up in a really slapdash hasty way. But I fucking love this show. Ted Lasso means more to me than I can explain to people. And much more than I can fit into this podcast, which is already running longer than I expected it to. But the final season of Ted Lasso, showing imperfect people being their perfect selves, um, is amazing. Truly amazing. Um, it's also the most introspective. It's the most real, I think, out of all of it. Um, the first two seasons, uh, I love them to death. And like I said, as TV shows, they are quality-wise probably better than season three. But season three is the most human out of all of them. Which sounds weird because we had a whole mental health thing with last uh, with last season, with season two. But these characters go through it. These characters are messy. These characters are human. And by the end of the season, when Ted realizes, I have given up so much and I need to go home. I need to end this. It feels like a true finale. Um... There are more important things than than football, than soccer. And he realizes that. He realizes his fears. He realizes he's been running this whole time from a life that was scary. And, ooh, ooh, oh, I'm getting emotional again. Um, and him getting to the place where he accepts that it is time. It is time to end. It is time to say goodbye. 
Um, ah, it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, giving fitting goodbyes to most of the cast. Uh, fitting arcs to most of the cast. And really just being what I needed this year. Um, Ted Lasso will remain one of my favorite shows of all time. And I don't think I can uh, better articulate. So we're going to move on. (laughs) Um, There was a show that I jumped on the bandwagon very late. Discovered this year. Took the time to watch it right before season two dropped. And that is The Bear. I fell in love with this little show that could, and it is it the the stranglehold it has on me as someone who is not just an actor but also is uh, currently embroiled and has been embroiled for um, half half of my life uh, in the food and beverage industry. This show stresses me out, gave me a mild panic attack during one episode, but also makes me fall in love with the process. Every time, every episode is a treasure. Every episode is a joy. Um, there is no more. Uh, there's no more triumphant feeling than watching a character who you absolutely fucking hated when you started watching this show, triumphantly shooting his fist into the air to the sound of Taylor Swift as he realizes and reignites passion that he hasn't experienced in two seasons um this show means so much to me uh there is a heavy you know debate again just like with the doctor who choices um season you know one and two can switch ted lasso and the bear can switch a bunch but they are my favorite shows of the year and they are unmatched for me in 2023 But that leads me to our final category. Top five comics of the year. Uh, Honorable mention goes to Captain America. Just all of it. Whether we're talking about the Sentinel of Liberty, whether we're talking about Symbol of Truth, whether we're talking about the JMS run, um, Captain America had a hell of a 2023 gang. And... The Hive Mind, Tochio Nyobuchi, and now JMS uh, all have crafted a wonderful tapestry that anyone would be happy to wave as a flag. Um, This year for Cap has been uh, full of strife, uh, but not that one, not the X-Men villain, uh, but it has been incredible to read and also to talk to some of the creators. I mean, getting to gush with the hive mind over their run earlier this year uh was incredible it was a bucket list thing for me i've loved their stuff for a while and getting to talk to them not once but twice uh about stuff that they're passionate about about stuff that i'm passionate about is amazing and i wouldn't give that shit up for the world so honorable mention to captain america it's incredible but cracking into the top five at number five we have world's finest This is quite possibly the best ongoing comic that DC has, period. Bar none, full stop. Mark Waid and Dan Mora are doing the world a favor by putting out the world's finest. 
And this being not just a story that you can uh, read alongside other comics, but also being a story that you can just hand to somebody who doesn't read comics or doesn't regularly read comics and know that they're going to love it. Uh, there's a certain magic to it. I gave this, I gave volume one of this to a uh, good brother, friend of the podcast. And uh, as I stated before, Star Wars connoisseur, uh, Jesse Pickering. And I am very excited because I think he's going to love it. Um, but having that excitement to gift that to people is uh, one of the joys of uh, of reading comics. So uh, World's Finest will have my heart forever. Mark Wade's my favorite comic writer of all time. Dan Mora is in the top five comic artists of all time, and he's not fifth, let me tell you. Um, just incredible stuff. Really, really loved it. And number four, we have Birds of Prey. This book is not very far along, which means you can go and catch up. It's wonderful. It's so freaking good, y'all. Y'all need to be reading this. Kelly Thompson, Leo Romero, they are doing the most, and people need to be reading this. It is amazing. The art, the writing, the character dynamics, the roster, just chef's kiss. Go read this. It's incredible. Uh, at number three, we have Superman, written by Joshua Williamson, art mostly by, <laughs> mostly by Jamal Campbell. Um has been amazing uh just a return to form for the character bringing back a lot of the uh animated series roots feeling very dcau but also telling its own story giving us you know lex trying to set up Supercore and all of the funny and weird things that come out of a partnership with lex luthor i love it it gives me very much rebirth vibes when lex was trying to be a hero aka the best period of lex luthor comics and this is very quickly heading into that range so i love this really really love this book i am absolutely ecstatic to see where it goes uh number two we have dr strange and i did not expect it to be on this list especially not this high but Looking over the past year of Doctor Strange comics, there's no other place it could be. It's stellar. Jed McKay has been crafting a masterpiece of a Doctor Strange run. I'm going to look this up right now, in real time. Um, Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme. Um, this was, okay, it was by Mark Wade. Granted, uh, but from that, from that very short run, the very underrated run, let me tell you, um, led into the Death of Doctor Strange by Jed McKay, and from there, we went Death of Doctor Strange, Strange, just Strange featuring uh, Clea, and then into the current Doctor Strange run, Jed McKay is goaded when it comes to Doctor Strange. I still say from the minute that Doctor Strange number one by Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalo, Bachelo, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, dropped, we have not had a single bad Doctor Strange run. I know him going into space and being Doctor Who wasn't everybody's favorite, but it is still a wonderful run, and Doctor Strange has just been killing it for a decade now. So I love this book to death, all the General Strange stuff, everything that has to do with the mysteries and the um, the Faultine having some, uh, some big problems with Clea deciding to stay married to Strange and 
all the mom stuff. It's amazing. I love this book. It's maybe the best ongoing book that Marvel has right now, which is crazy to say because they've got so many good ones. Um, but I absolutely adore it, and I think people should give this more of a shout because it's incredible. Um, and that's nothing to take away from uh, Pascal Ferry, who is doing the majority of the art in this book. Um, tremendous. I keep saying it, but it's true. 2023 is a tremendous year, uh, especially in comics. But of course, number one, I've talked about it ad nauseum. I've been shouting to every person who could ever ask or probably doesn't ask. I've been climbing in your walls talking about it. It's Spirit World at number one. What a freaking story. Alyssa Wong, Haining, crafting a six-issue miniseries, and I'm so mad that we're not getting 100 issues of this story, uh, where Xanthi, Cassandra Kane, and Constantine, that's right, I said it, uh, go into the spirit realm uh, to rescue Cassandra. Uh, I fucking, I love this. I love this. Xanthi, one of my favorite new DC heroes, swinging that big old sword, making origami into real items. Um, what more could you ask for? I need more Xanthi. Uh, they and Dreamer are two characters who I think could have a gigantic 2024 if given the chance. Um, alongside Galaxy, Hawkgirl, so many characters that need it and should be prominently featured in DC Comics. I'm hoping hoping big things come for them next year. Um, this is a perfect comic to give to somebody if they have just like a rudimentary knowledge of DC Comics. Um, they can patch things together pretty quickly. Uh, also, it's a book that features Cassandra Kane and any time we get more casts is a good time and a good thing. So again, if you don't read Spirit World when the uh, collected edition, I know some of you are trade waiters and that's fine, but if you don't read that collected edition when it comes out in, I think, March or April, I will be in your walls and I will be in your floorboards and I will find you. So just make it easy on me. I don't want to have to climb into your walls. Uh, just read the book. Makes it easier for everybody. But I think that's it. Um, that does it for my year in review. That does it for my whole shtick, gang. Um, and that does it for 2023, which um, brings me to a pretty, uh, pretty weird part of this episode where I have to talk about me, not to talk about the podcast. Um, I have been putting a lot of thought into where the podcast is at, where the podcast is going. And as things currently stand, I'm looking back at uh, years, years of my life dedicated to this podcast, to growing a, a small community, um, to meeting people and expanding my horizons and um, just gushing over silly things that you know make me feel passionate about uh about the things that i love but as i'm looking back we are 284 episodes into this podcast and in 2024 we are going to hit 300 episodes of this podcast and 
when we do, I will be concluding the Wednesday podcast. This isn't a decision that I have come to lightly, and it is not anything, you know, that anybody did wrong or has, you know, any malice behind. Um, But there are a lot of things that I, you know, have been trying to put more focus on to, um, you know, live a full and fulfilling, you know, life out of this, you know. Um, This isn't going to affect the uh, Friday Book Club. That is still going to be uh, a lot of fun to put together. We've got big things in store for you with Season 5. And we've got big things even further down the line that we've hopefully got planned and we'll hopefully be able to um, follow up on. Um, But, I mean, just looking at this past year, uh, it's it's incredibly draining to do two podcasts a week. Um, You know, I, I did that, you know, Spotify wrapped for podcasters and we did over... 10,000 minutes of audio created this year, just this year. Um, and it's draining gang. It's draining on my mental, on my emotional. And I don't, you know, and this isn't, I don't, I don't want this to become like some kind of weird pity party thing, but I don't make money off of this podcast. And that's probably, you know, my bad, I've just never been good at like setting those things up and um, you know, that's, that's, that's not the reason that I started the podcast in the first place. But that being said, you know, I am trying to going forward in 2024, trying to protect a little bit of my peace more, Um, trying to find time to, uh, to rest and just enjoy, uh, just enjoy life, be a little kinder to myself and trying to put out two podcasts a week, every week, uh, does not allow me to rest, does not allow me to put my all into the things I'm passionate about, which include the podcast, but I just want you to be ready. I don't want to, you know, just spring it on you. Hey, it's gone. That's it. We're done. I don't want to walking dead this to you. Um, so I also don't want to uh, tell people that the final issue of a book is going to come out on one day when it uh, and then delay it the week before to a month later. But that's fine. I'm not mad about not getting to finish Firepower. It's fine. Um, but I just figured, you know, since we have built up a rapport, I feel like we might be friends. We might be besties. Uh, You deserve to know where the podcast is going. So this is the plan. We are currently at 284 episodes. Uh, In January, I will be doing uh, five Geeksplain specials, getting into discussing characters that I am very excited to get into. Um, January, the the first week of January, we're going to be covering uh, Echo, uh, going just knee-deep into the story of this character in uh, in celebration of the approaching series, which I'm very, very fucking excited about. 
Um, and January is going to be all about just diving into histories of characters that I love and letting you know more about them before they show up in another medium. And so uh, January 3rd is going to be an episode on Echo. And then for each of the subsequent four weeks in January, um, I'm going to be diving into the main characters of Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League. Ah, I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be doing the breakdowns for Deadshot, Harley Quinn, King Shark, and of course, Captain Boomerang. I'm going to be doing full character studies on them as we've done in the past with our Geek Explained episodes to get you ready for them as they drop in the beginning of February with Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League. And then in February, we're going to be taking the month off because in February, I am getting married. Um, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I've, I've talked about it before on the podcast, but I am getting married at the end of February and there is no way, <laughs> there is no way that I can juggle uh, doing two podcasts a week uh, plus try to plan for a wedding plus work my day job plus do my voice acting and other acting gigs. So uh, February we will be taking the month off and then from there uh, in March we will be celebrating our, uh, gosh, our our six-year, seven-year anniversary? Uh, Six-year, I think. Six-year anniversary, and from episode 285 on, we will be marching towards the finale for the Wednesday podcast. Um, The schedule won't be every single week. I've got tentative plans for the rest of the year, but we will be concluding the Wednesday podcast with episode 300 in 2024. I want to thank every single person who has um, followed along with this episode through 284 episodes. Ooh, I'm getting emotional as I already was. But um, I want to sincerely thank you. Once again, the Friday show, the Friday book club is not going anywhere. We are continuing that. That is staying on. I love uh, chatting with Malcolm and Jacob too much to, to end that. But... Um, the Wednesday podcast uh, will be concluding next year with 300, and I hope you join me on that ride. Uh, 2023 has been an incredible journey, um, both on a physical, mental, and emotional uh, aspect, and I am incredibly thankful for all of you being here with me for this, and I hope you continue to join me in 2024. Um this is a big deal for me. It's a big deal. This podcast always has been, always will be. You know, maybe down the line, if I, you know, find myself in a space where I can kick up the Wednesday, you know, podcast again, we might get there. But as it stands right now, um, 300 is where uh, Wednesday shows end. So um, that is that is the big bombshell announcement for the podcast at the end of this episode for the next year. Um, I sincerely want to thank you. Um, it means the world to me that you all have been with me this year and have been listening and sharing and reacting and even, you know, allowing me to own up to my fuck-ups and get this this show going, you know, even through some very difficult periods this year. 
it's been it's been incredible genuinely has i'm incredibly grateful for you i'm incredibly grateful for every single person who has listened to this podcast whether you started from the beginning or whether you've jumped on somewhere in between these 284 episodes um it means more to me than i can explain to you so um with that being said thank you for celebrating 2023 with me i look forward to entering 2024 with you and i'm really excited to see where we go from here i'm incredibly grateful for this podcast and i am so excited for us to make that leap into the next year uh, with open hearts, uh, enriched minds, and hopefully healthy bodies. Fingers crossed. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, But I'm rambling now, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up here. I will see you uh, next week for our first of five Geeksplain January specials focused on... Echo. So tune in for that on Wednesday. Um, until then, thank you so much for listening. For the Geek Explain podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Everybody stay safe. We will see you next year. Happy New Year, everybody. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old land sign? For old land sign. For all we'll take a cup more kindness yet for days of old Lansign. We twa here on about the breeze and put the gowans fine but we've wandered many weary fed since days of old landside and we twa he peddled in the barn frame on and sun till dine but seas between us braid heroed since days of old land sign. For old land sign, my dear, for old land sign, we'll tack a cup of kindness yet. For days of old land sign. 
Yet for all land sign. 